We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Michael Krasny. President Biden is set to release his climate change action plan today. and The White House says he will sign executive orders establishing climate as a national security priority and conserving at least 30 percent of federal land and oceans by 2030, among other initiatives. Coming up on Forum, we'll get reaction from two of California's top environmental officials, Jared Blumenfeld of Cal EPA and Wade Crowfoot of the state's Natural Resources Agency. And we'll hear what lessons the state's climate actions hold for the U.S. and what California can do better. That's all next, right after this. Welcome to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. President Joe Biden will shortly sign a group of executive actions to fight climate change on issues ranging from fracking to green jobs. But will they go far enough to reduce greenhouse gas emissions? California Environmental Protection Agency Secretary Jared Blumenfeld and Natural Resources Agency Secretary Wade Crowfoot join us now to share their reaction to Biden's plan. And they'll also discuss how California, as it struggles with wildfire, drought and other challenges, can serve as a model for national action on climate change. And we'll hear what California itself is doing to meet clean energy targets. I want to welcome first Jared Blumenfeld, who's Secretary for Environmental Protection for the state of California. Good morning, Jared. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing? Doing okay. Glad to have you back with us. (laughs) Lots to talk about. Uh, I want to also welcome Wade Crowfoot uh, back, Secretary of the California Natural Resources Agency. Welcome, Wade. Good to be here. Thanks, Michael. Good to have you as well. And uh, you who are listening may indeed have questions about President Biden's executive actions or California's role as a model for action in terms of climate change. If you do, give us a call and let me give you that number now. The number to call is 866-733-6786. Again, you can join us toll free at 866-733-6786 or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Begin with you, if I may, Jared, uh, begin with talking about the fact that certainly President Biden has made climate change and the environment central to this administration. He talked about climate change as an existential threat, and there is certainly a lot of reversal from the Trump administration, to put it mildly. He's reprioritizing environmental climate concerns. What can we expect this afternoon? We're going to hear certainly uh, a climate change action plan. What's in it? So, Michael, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cathartic, the rain that's been coming. I mean, we've all been waiting so long for this day that climate change would be top of the agenda. And it just feels to me just amazing and incredibly uplifting. Um, So yeah, day one, uh, right out of the gate, he came out with an executive order looking at hundreds of things that the Trump administration had done to roll back climate and other environmental and public health protections. And today, he's taking the next big step. Um, He's going to create a civilian climate core to get people to work in conservation and and helping 
really mobilize youth and others to, to get into the work of, of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. He's going to come up with a big government-wide action plan for reducing greenhouse gas emissions. He's going to really focus on environmental justice. Um, so looking at how his promise of equity and climate action can come together in a, in a really meaningful way. And then he's going to, to do things around job creation. He's going to put a moratorium on all new federal oil and gas leasing. He's going to do something that Wade um, is expert at and, and we can talk about, which is protecting 30% of the nation's lands and water by the end of the decade. Um, he's also going to do all kinds of things on procurement, making sure that the federal government uh, buys clean energy, buys electric vehicles. He's going to um, look at how we end fossil fuel subsidies, and he's going to put in place, as it relates to disadvantaged communities, a goal called Justice 40, which will say that 40% of all the climate funding should go towards communities, environmental justice impacted communities. So uh, as you can see, he, he is not waiting. I, I think, I don't know, um, having been part of the Obama administration, there was a sense that we could wait and move forward with deliberation. I, I'm just excited by his impatience, which I think is reflected by the scientific reality that we need big, bold moves quickly and, and he's taking them. Yeah, and we should mention that he's called for a climate council on Earth Day with world leaders and Speaker Schumer, excuse me, Majority Leader Schumer has talked about uh, asking him to essentially uh, call climate change a national emergency. So there's a lot of action uh, and there's a lot of movement. I'm wondering what your thoughts are, uh, however, on, uh, well, environmental laws and policies in general, which uh, were, I think, a good way to describe it, regulations were burned and shredded as the Trump administration left. And I think you were quoted in Cal Matters as saying that you thought it was the end of the world when we came to the end of the Bush administration environmentally, but it was a picnic compared to what we have now. Yeah, so all the things that are being listed today, and yeah, I uh, was remiss in not saying we rejoined Paris. That was incredibly, this, this agreement with more than 190 nations, we were the only one when Trump pulled out to pull out of that. So we're back at the international stage, and yeah, Earth Day will bring all the folks together. And excuse me, Jerry, we got Keystone probably canceled too, the pipeline. Yeah, so when, when actions speak a lot louder than words, um, and, and pulling out from Keystone, which was that pipeline that went through Lakota and, and other tribal lands um, and had been incredibly controversial, just being able to do that by executive pen is, is pretty awesome. Um, in addition, um, the, the drilling in the Arctic National Wild Refuge was taken off the table. Um, but to, to answer your question, Michael, you know, the, the things that are being described today are incredibly important um, first step, and they go way beyond any, anything that we've seen on climate leadership. It still leaves on the table the largest sources of greenhouse gas emissions, which are vehicles, power plants, and methane leaks from oil and gas. And those things can't really be done in that same way. They can't be done just by executive action alone. They need to be done through regulation. So um, in, in the next hour, we can talk through some of those, but particularly on the vehicle side, there's a lot to be done. Trump rolled back the emission standards um, from vehicles and both in California and nationally, transportation is, is the largest source of our greenhouse gas emissions. So there's a lot still to be done. I don't want to uh, sugarcoat it too much. I am pretty euphoric about 
how much he is doing and how I think incredibly importantly, um, he's integrating environmental justice and equity and jobs into this and making it government wide. This used to be a discussion where it was just the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Energy and Interior, but now it's transportation, it's agriculture, it's trade, it's really a, a all of the above strategy. So today, today is a big day and a really important step forward, but there's still a lot to be done. Yeah, a lot to be done, to put a mile either, about 175 actions uh, to roll back on climate change. We're going to need a new uh, notion of triage just to know what to uh, go after first. But let me go after Wade Crowfoot and get him to talk about this. Uh, Wade Crowfoot, again, is Secretary of California Natural Resources Agency. And Wade, I was uh, reading about uh, sort of your area, one of your areas, uh, talking about uh, uh, actually lightening and cleaning up the forests, about 48% now under federal uh, control, and I assume we're not going to be doing raking under Biden. Um, there's there's real action on that score as well, isn't there? Yeah, there sure is. And I would just echo what Jared said. I mean, it's hard to overestimate just the, the difference uh, that the president's leadership is going to make. I mean, I found myself in the surreal circumstance this past fall of debating with Donald Trump the mere existence of climate change. I think Jared termed it environmental vandalism throughout the federal agencies where they really sought to scrub any effort or acknowledgement of uh, climate change globally. So contrast that with the first day in office, uh, as Jared mentioned, where the president calls on reviewing a long list of actions and damage that the Trump administration had created. And then today's announcement, I mean, top to bottom, um, these are meaningful actions, including the work to identify a nationally determined contribution, uh, a sort of a binding uh, climate target uh, for the uh, United States within that Paris Agreement. And so to me, uh, I'm, I'm more energized than ever uh, around the work that we can do together. And uh, it's just in time. I mean, I think and I know we are on borrowed time as it relates to climate change. And Michael, you mentioned the impacts of uh, wildfire. Consider this fact. Last summer, five of the six largest wildfires in the state's history were burning at the same time. Exploding summer temperatures, including over 120 degrees in greater uh, Los Angeles. Uh, the worst drought in modern history in the last decade. And of course, this week facing these intensifying atmospheric rivers. So uh, this leadership can't come soon enough, and it will involve both working with the feds on reducing global uh, or carbon pollution, uh, but also strengthening our resilience or protecting people and nature from the impacts of climate change. I'm moved by the excitement and uh, really the, the, the positive nature of what you and Jared are laying out here before us. Uh, let me uh, go to some things, though, that have been of concern. I mentioned, for example, uh, cleaning up the forests, and I don't know that we have a forest management policy yet from President Biden. And also, uh, what's happening uh, from your perspective, Wade, with respect to fracking? I mean, uh, there was supposed to be um, real action on fracking, but there have been sort of contradictory notions that we've been hearing from this administration. Where do, the, where do we stand on that? Got it. Well, let me take, let me take wildfires and forests first. I think we all recognize the heroic work that CAL FIRE does every fire season. And really, they're the, one of the largest and most sophisticated firefighting forces on the planet. But what we know is we are not going to respond our way out of this crisis. 
Uh, and so we have to do a lot more to restore the health of our forests and our landscapes and protect communities. You're right, Michael, the Biden administration has not yet identified how it's going to double down on federal leadership uh, building wildfire resilience. Here in California, we have good partners in the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, federal agencies actually control about 57% of our state's forests, but they're, they're vastly underfunded. Um, we in state government actually spend state dollars uh, working within those federal forests uh, to reduce wildfire risks. So one important action uh, that the new administration can take is simply to provide more resources to uh, the federal agencies in the, in, across the West to actually get in there and do this ecologically based forest health work. What that's gonna do is reduce the risk of these catastrophic wildfires. Wildfire is part of our natural ecology and we need to introduce more prescribed fire like tribal communities have been doing since time immemorial. But these huge catastrophic wildfires that are burning hotter and larger than ever before are not natural. And they're creating uh, not only carbon emissions, but huge air quality issues in parts of the state that already suffer from poor air quality. So there's a lot to get done uh, in the federal agencies on this front. And then on the topic of fracking and fossil fuels, I think we can, um, one, applaud the president for this moratorium on new leasing of fossil fuels on federal lands. Almost a quarter of the oil that's extracted in our country is extracted on federal lands. And so he will be the first president to say, enough, no more leases. Uh, okay, we're coming up on a break. I'm sorry, Wade, uh, we got about a, a 60 second break here, but we'll be back. We'll hear more from you and from Jared Blumenfeld, as well as our listeners. Again, join us toll free at 866-733-6786. You're listening to Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. We're talking about President Biden's executive actions on climate change with Jared Blumenfeld, Secretary for Environmental Protection for the state of California, and Wade Crowfoot, who is Secretary of the California Natural Resources Agency. And uh, we do want to hear from you. We'll hear from you, in fact, momentarily. I just ought to mention that California has been a national model for quite some time now. We've talked about that through the uh, last number of years on Forum, and we'll see from our guests how that's going to tie in with this plan that the president is putting forward later today. And also, uh, it's probably important to mention that this climate change action plan is uh, fairly comprehensive, as we've been learning from our guests, and we'll uh, find out more from them and find out what questions are on your mind. In fact, um, uh, Wade, did you want to say something more about fracking before I go to some callers here? Yeah, sure thing. I would just say here in California, uh, our governor, Newsom, has been clear um, that fracking does doesn't have a future in California, and we're working with our state legislature uh, to end the practice. Um, but I think while fracking is an important issue, the, the president's announcement on overall uh, fossil fuel productions on public lands is an absolute game changer across the country. 
Well, we have a couple of callers who want to talk about setbacks to oil fields. Uh, maybe we can take them uh, in seriatim, just one after another, and get your responses. Uh, we have two of the major officials in the world of environmental science here with us. Let me start with Riddy in Kern County as a caller. Riddy, go ahead. Hi, yes. I know we're talking about the Biden administration, and I apologize. I'll try to keep this brief. But as someone who lives in Kern County, who fights for environmental justice, who is one of the most oil productive counties in the nation, I know that the head agencies know that um, we need to enact at least 2,500 foot setbacks because apparently the governor listens to science, but they know the science behind this and they're dragging their feet. And I'm curious to why our communities continue to be sacrificed, especially down here in Kern and LA, where over 90% of the people that live within 2,500 um, feet of oil and gas are people of color. And there's an example of environmental racism that already exists here in California. So I don't know how we can call ourselves a climate leader with that. All right. Let me thank you for that call, Riddy. I'm going to uh, actually go right to Jamie, who also wants to raise questions along similar lines. And Jamie joins us from Los Angeles. Jamie, go ahead, please. Yeah, it's Jamie Court from Consumer Watchdog. Oh, hey, Jamie uh, Court. The, hey, how are you, Michael? Okay, um, thanks for joining I, uh, us. Of course. Uh, you know, Wade, um, the governor had an opportunity before the end of the year to issue a rule on setbacks, on these setbacks from the distance between a community and an oil field being drilled and, and the uh, department just bailed on it and, and pushed the uh, development of the rules to the spring. I'm curious, um, the two trades of thinking are, one, the governor was avoiding uh, the oil industry uh, putting money into the recall effort against them by punting till after the recall is going to be determined, or two, your agency just couldn't get its, its, its stuff together in order to, to make it happen in time. When are these rules going to be issued? What month? And as Colorado has led the nation with a 2,000-foot setback, are we going to have a specific number that is close to what Colorado has to protect these communities? Jamie, thank you for those questions. Wade Crawford, I'm going to go to you on those, and maybe I can ask Jared about Kern County. Wade, go ahead, please. Great. So just for the callers that aren't too familiar with this, um, I think we all agree, uh, including our agency and Governor Newsom, um, that we need to strengthen protections uh, for communities adjacent to or nearby oil extraction. Um, simply put, uh, the historic sort of safety protective measures aren't strong enough. So we are undertaking a, a, a full rulemaking change um, through our state agency. Um, that's a science-based process. It's a big sort of legalistic process. It may very well get litigated by companies that are not um, uh, supportive of it. So obviously we need to build a scientific record for whatever we're recommending. And we're in the middle of that process as the two callers noted. We've employed a independent panel of public safety or public health experts, I should say, from across the country um, to identify exactly what protective measures, uh, including setbacks are needed and at what distance. Uh, and it's critical that actually those experts um, uh, I, you know, can build a record uh, supporting these, uh, these rule improvements. So we're focused like a laser on getting this done. Uh, it took longer this fall to assemble that broad, diverse panel of experts um, than we had anticipated given COVID, but we are focused on, uh, on getting a proposed rule done this spring, uh, which we're gonna make sure is gonna be uh, available for public comment and review. 
Um, so our, our, our focus is clear, uh, which is that we, we need, collectively need to strengthen these uh, health protections, and we're doing it as quickly as we can uh, in order to create a protective and a legally durable rule, recognizing it may very well get challenged. And Jared Blumenfeld, let me go to you on uh, the other question that was raised about Kern County and environmental justice. Some thoughts from you? Yeah, I really appreciate the call from Riddy and Jamie. Um, kind of building on what Wade said, if you look at the question, why, why do we have fossil fuel extraction? So fossil fuels is a fancy way of just saying oil and gas. Mainly the, the gasoline's coming for our vehicles, for our trucks that are moving us around the state, that are moving goods and services around the state. Um, and around the nation. And I think what you're seeing really the most important move today that the president is pushing in, in, in many directions is how we end our reliance on fossil fuel. So California's position has been, we need to reduce demand. Because if we don't reduce demand, Michael, if we just say, you know what, we're gonna end these practices in California, which, which the governor has said we're gonna do. Um, and in fact, since the 1980s, California now, pumps 50% less out of the ground than we did. So we're on the downward trajectory. But unfortunately, we still use the same amount of gasoline in our vehicles and diesel. So what, the, what we've done, and I think what you're seeing today, is this move towards the electrification of transportation at the same time as creating health and safety setbacks. Um, well, excuse me, Jared, isn't the Biden administration talking again about a lot of electric cars and electric car stations, isn't it? Exactly. Um, Listeners should know, we, California should be pretty proud. We have 45% of the nation's electric vehicles that are here in the state. That's 760,000 vehicles. Today, Biden came out and said, we want to make sure all the new vehicles purchased by the federal government are electric. That's a big deal. He's pushing for charging infrastructure. He's pushing for getting that civilian climate core to, to install that. And excuse um, me, it seems like the um, automotive manufacturers are kind of going along with the program for now. A lot of them. Yeah, they sent a letter to the president um, that the governor uh, got yesterday. Um, it's a pretty amazing statement of all the auto manufacturers. You have to remember, Michael, we talked about this. Um, those same auto manufacturers, half of them um, had been in locked battle with us, siding with the Trump administration. It's a little bit weird. Just have to add this, uh, that those companies uh, like Toyota and Chrysler and Subaru are still suing California. So one of the preconditions for us sitting down with them, they want to work out a global settlement with the federal government and all the other auto manufacturers. Our point to them is maybe you should drop the lawsuits against California first. But that being said, it is a positive step in the right direction. Um, California is followed by 15 other states when it comes to our vehicle standards for greenhouse gas emissions and other pollutants. And so it's a, it's a big new day for, for states. And, and, you know, the Trump administration had this bizarre statement that um, they were going to follow states. They were going to have what they called collaborative or cooperative federalism. They never did that. So, what you're seeing today is the Biden administration charting a path that in many ways follows what California has been doing for the last 20 years. And these issues of environmental justice that were raised by the callers are real. They're difficult. Um, they don't get resolved overnight. But I think what you're seeing in California is a real commitment to rolling up our sleeves and solving them. I want to bring another caller on. Uh, Daniel joins us from Sacramento. Daniel, welcome. You're on the air. 
Hi, thank you. Yeah, this is Dan Gleisenkamp calling from the California Institute for Biodiversity. I just want to say this is such a great win for the U.S. and for the world, but it's mostly just, you know, a day to celebrate California values. This is stuff that Jared and Wade and others have been pushing for years. And missed in the news is that the, that the feds are also adopting 30 by 30, a push to save 30 percent of our nature by the year 2030. So looking forward at the next step, Michael, my question is, as we're looking at investing trillions of dollars in renewable energy development, I think of another California initiative that someday will be adopted by the feds and lead the, the world, and that's saving biodiversity. And I wonder if Jared and Wade could talk about, you know, as we're going net zero and building out renewables, can a little bit of that money go to the scientists in an equitable fashion so that they can collect specimens of our biodiversity and make good plans for saving it? It's an important question, and I thank you for it. We've been hearing, certainly, Wade, haven't we, about uh, not only biodiversity, but about endangered species and concerns along those lines from the Biden administration? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot about one planetary crisis, which is climate change, but not another, which is mass extinction. I mean, we're losing biodiversity across the planet, and it spurred an international movement to protect 30% of the planet by 2030. California stepped up as the first state in the nation to actually adopt a 30 uh, by 30 goal for its land and coastal waters. And I'm really, really proud of that. I think sort of stepping back, you know, California has been really advanced on all things technology on, on climate change. So you think about, you know, today over two thirds of the energy we consume uh, is, is uh, generated by fossil, free, uh, fossil fuel free uh, sources. Um, we have the best energy codes in the country. As Jared mentioned, we're advancing electrification. But one gap we've, we've sort of missed is nature and the natural and working lands and their ability to remove or sequester carbon and to protect us from these climate-driven threats. And so there's a big, broad movement to uh, lift up these nature-based solutions, whether it's restoring coastal wetlands like is happening in the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, or planting hedgerows on farms to generate uh, biodiversity or green spaces in, in park poor communities. These are all great examples of what we should be doing to combat climate change. And as Dan, the caller mentions, to maintain our biodiversity. Um, there's so many actions that we can take to actually protect and restore our nature for the benefit of climate change and biodiversity. So Dan and others who are interested, you're going to be hearing a lot more about this in months to come. Yeah, and I'm wondering, uh, when we're talking about California, Jared Blumenfeld, uh, there have been about 1,200 people let go from the EPA overall nationally. It's been gutted. I think you're going to have to rebuild it uh, in, in so many yeah. ways, aren't you? Yeah, so U.S. EPA was founded back in 1970 by... Richard Nixon, uh, who we wouldn't think of necessarily now as an environmental champion, but he but was. he was, <laughs> yeah, but he was exactly, especially in the context of history, and especially and, uh, with endangered species, which we just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, I think it's even worse. When I when I left the agency at the end of the Obama administration, there were fifteen thousand EPA employees. I think we're down to about eleven thousand. Um, so it really has been gutted. Um, many of those people came to California, and we welcome them. Um, I think you're going to see a return to Washington now that there's there's someone who actually believes in science, believes in the rule of law, believes in the goal of protecting public health and the environment. I just want to say to all the 
EPA folks that have stayed uh, day in, day out in the trenches uh, as civil servants, that they really were the resistance. Without them, we would have nothing left of the important institutions and infrastructure that's needed to do all the things that Biden's talking about today. So often, often, you know, and this is one of the casualties of the Trump era, government was maligned, government was put down as an institution that was somehow part of the deep state. But government is really a central role in helping protect public health and the environment, as we're seeing with COVID, and certainly true with climate change. I just want to thank all those folks that, that stayed there that kept working, even with people that told them, don't do this, don't protect the environment, don't protect our land, water and air. And um, just to build on one thing that Wade was saying, you know, we work closely with Secretary Karen Ross at the at Food and Agriculture and really the role of farming and farmers. USDA, uh, United States Department of Agriculture was included in the executive order that the president's going to sign later today and it really really is important to realize that farmers play a critical role in both protecting biodiversity as dan and wade were mentioning but also the soil has an enormous ability to absorb more carbon um, and for those in the bay area that are lucky enough to have food scrap composting as part of their curbside collection every week that compost that food scraps gets turned into compost, that compost gets put on the soil. And Michael, that then creates a seed state change in the soil that allows it to absorb more rain like today, but also actually absorb carbon from the atmosphere. So farmers are going to be a critical part of helping solve the climate emergency. I'm glad you mentioned farmers. I'm also glad you gave uh, props to all those unsung heroes uh, who worked on behalf of the environment when things were really so challenging, to put it mildly. I should also mention the first day in office, uh, President Biden put out an executive order to review federal actions of the past four years uh, to determine if they harm public health or the environment. Uh, so there's being a lot done that is sort of even under the radar here. Well, a question from a listener, Namiko, go to you on this, Jared. He says, how can we make sure that Biden's climate change actions are long lasting beyond his presidency if policy change is done via executive order? It's a great question. Um, and I think, you know, with, with the incredible victory that we had um, in Georgia and now kind of the Kamala Harris that, that many in the Bay Area know and love um, is kind of the tiebreaker, that there is a potential to think about what are the elements of a climate agenda that can be legislated. And, and some of those are really no-brainers, um, um, Daniel and, and Michael. What, one of them would be infrastructure. So as we think about building you know, um, the infrastructure that we need for the future, Electric charging stations, for instance, or uh, drinking water systems that help the more than million Californians that still don't have access to drinking water or ports in Oakland or Long Beach or L.A. that are completely zero emissions. There's, there's a really big and important intersection between building infrastructure and reducing our greenhouse gas emissions that can help. And Wade and I were just actually hosting a seminar yesterday on sea level rise. We need to rebuild a lot of our coastal infrastructure to be to be resilient to that that reality of, of sea level rise. Um, Wade's an initiative that we're working on together, which is the Climate Action Core, which we're flattered is being copied at the federal level by the Civilian Climate Core. Um, those folks are going into the forest and helping with things like home hardening, 
and building out um, things like urban canopy. So I think there's going to be a set of things that Republicans and Democrats, this is my hope, and, and I think you have to be an optimist, Michael, to, to be in this business of environmental protection. My hope is that, is that there is a space where Democrats and Republicans can come together around building a strong economy that is equitable, just, and helps reduce greenhouse gas emissions. I definitely want to share that optimism. I keep thinking, though, about the difficulty some legislation is going to face. Uh, not only you're talking about Kamala Harris being a tiebreaker, but you have, for example, uh, the possibility of coal legislation facing Democrats like Joe Manchin from West Virginia. And, you know, there is a uh, certainly a lot of corporate resources that are going into stopping legislation. Uh, so we've got all that to fix our attention on as well in terms of getting things through that are more viable for a better uh, environment for all of us. Uh, we're going to get to some more of your questions and comments. Uh, actually, we're coming up on a quick break here, but here's Nettie who says, I'm so happy about the actions to reduce carbon emissions that President Biden is doing, but what is he doing to mitigate the loss of jobs in states that depend on oil production? Well, there's a whole green job plan that has been put forward also by President Biden. We'll hear what our guests have to say about that. We'll hear from more of our callers. We're going to break away again quickly for just about 60 seconds, but we'll return after that. Stay tuned. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. This is Forum, and we're talking about President Biden's executive actions on climate change. They'll be announced later this morning, uh, perhaps our afternoon time. Jared Blumenfeld with us, Secretary for Environmental Protection, the state of California, and Wade Crowfoot, Secretary of the Natural Resources Agency. And I ought to mention that I think the EPA Region 9 is now being head by Deborah Jordan. Is that right, Wade? Uh, Debbie, yeah. Debbie I, is awesome. Yeah. Uh, she, hopefully they keep her forever. She's the highest ranking civil servant, um, Michael. And uh, Debbie, if you're listening, yeah, keep doing the amazing job you're doing. Before Wade talks about just transition, Michael, say it's not true. You're not actually retiring. You always claim you're retiring, but we can't, <laughs> we can't have you retire. I'm afraid it's in the works. <laughs> it's, whoa, whoa. It's, it's becoming definite. Uh, but nice of you to... Uh, no, you've, it- been, you've been literally the voice of reason for so many years, so many people. So I just want to personally... This might be my last opportunity with you on the air to just say you have absolutely rocked it. And um, I know how many people you inspire and, and keep inspiring. So thank you for everything you've done. And I have to say, since I read your book, for your Jewish sense of humor. Well, kind of you to say and appreciated. I, I want to go back to the question that was raised by a listener, though, in an email. And Wade Crowfoot, let me go to you on that. The jobs disappearing and the concern about jobs, particularly in this state with oil production? 
Well, I was really encouraged that the president's announcement today recognizes that this energy transition to low carbon economy will require some investment and focus in communities that have been center at, um, in, within our fossil fuel economy. So think coal mining towns in West Virginia or natural gas South Dakota, oil in, in Texas. So we have to enable a transition where we don't leave these folks behind. Uh, in many of uh, these areas, um, folks with uh, a fairly limited education have been able to establish um, you know, middle-class jobs and, and stable uh, livelihoods as a result of the fossil fuel extraction. So the president's announcement actually calls for a specific focus and a working group on, uh, ener on energy, uh, re revitalizing so-called energy communities. We have that situation in California too. The callers mentioned Kern County where about 80% of our oil is produced. Uh, that's in the Southern San Joaquin uh, Valley around Bakersfield. And the fact is, as we reduce our reliance here in California on oil, and as we produce less of it, we cannot leave these folks behind. Um, the county, for example, the fire safety, the public safety, actually derives significant funding from these fossil fuel revenues. So as Jared mentioned, we really focus on a just transition um, around how to help these communities transition. And frankly, we're not doing um, justice to the transition unless we figure out a way to help these folks transition and avoid leaving them behind. And I'm going to bring another caller aboard here. Jim joins us. Jim, welcome. You're on the air. Great. Thank you. Um, as a as a rare Republican and conservative uh, listener, um, much of the discussion, I'm, I'm pleased uh, Biden won, and uh, but much of this sounds like an echo chamber cheerleading session. And I think it's easy to dismiss the policies under Trump's presidency, given, well, it's Trump. Uh, and I'm as happy as anyone that Biden won. But underneath uh, uh, Trump's policies, if we can call them that, are real and legitimate conservative concerns about the cost of the environmental agenda. So take, for example, the Paris Accord. That's not just a knee-jerk reaction that we don't want to be part of it. There are, there are specific costs uh, to be thought about. And, and the final comment I'll say is I, as a capitalist, think that government is, frankly, a terrible allocator of capital and resources. And I think just about, for example, the Crescent Dunes solar plant in, in Nevada. Um, so to me, these discussions would be more productive and amenable if it were broader and taking into account the legitimate conservative perspectives on cost, not just the benefits of fighting climate change. I'll take my uh, take any comments off there. Thank you. All right, Jim, I thank you for your comments. And uh, we are talking about some pretty steep costs here. Jared Blumenfeld, you want to weigh in? Yes. So thanks for that, that question, Jim. I think, well, first of all, starting with your last point, I, I would agree that government um, the real role of government is to send market signals, not to pick winners and losers. So, for instance, we're very focused on on electric, you know, the, the movement of, of zero emission vehicles, the movement towards carbon neutrality rather than a specific way of getting there. When, when you look at the cost of regulations, um, often, unfortunately, Jim, in, in the Trump administration, there was things like the social cost of carbon that were reduced to nearly the point of zero or scrapped altogether. And so there wasn't a full acknowledgement of the cost of doing nothing. Um, one of the things that Wade and I work on together, for instance, is our agency is in charge, Cal Recycle, of cleaning up after the wildfires. Last year, we spent $2.5 billion cleaning up just Paradise and Woolsey. 
And so I think Wade had the number, but for every dollar invested in fire prevention, you save about $6 in the back end in cleanup. So the cost of not doing anything on climate change is astronomical. And I think when you weigh that against the public health benefits and the benefits to our economy, um, that they're huge, huge opportunities. And, and kind of taking from where Wade left off on just transition in California, we have close to 600,000 clean energy jobs, everything from electric vehicle manufacturers, of which we have 34, all the way to folks that have transitioned from oil and gas to installing solar and wind. And you know the potential of offshore wind would create a whole new industry, as would geothermal and, and even lithium down um, in the Owens Valley. So we believe, Jim, that the opportunity is really to create a robust, strong, capitalist economy based on principles of justice and a clean economy. And, and we think we can get there. And yes, there are transitional costs to doing things differently, but those are more than compensated by the benefits to both our health and the economy overall. I'm looking at some emails that are apropos of what you're saying, Jared, uh, are certainly relevant to it. Uh, let me read a Email from Kevin, get your response, Wade Crowfoot. Uh, Kevin writes, when the USA has better emission controls, there is a risk that companies will shift manufacturing to where there are looser emission restrictions. This also has the problem of offshoring jobs. What do the new plans do to avoid offshoring? I would like to see a carbon tax on imports, so imports with bad emissions are placed on a level playing field with USA production and imports from places with stricter emission controls. Wade? Yeah, it's a, it, that's, a, that's a great question, and that refers to what's called economic leakage, where if you know, one jurisdiction has tight requirements, um, what's going to prevent those companies from going to a place with less environmental restrictions? And I think they support Jim's broader point, which is this is a, this is a complicated transition. And I don't think we want to suggest today that this is uh, simple um, or without some really uh, complex um, you know, decisions as it relates to this the economic transition. Um, we have talked about various um, approaches that uh, try to reduce leakage in California because California obviously has strong environmental standards. And there are ways to actually prevent, um, you know, uh, or limit the uh, offshoring of, of manufacturing. Uh, I think one thing that the President Biden was very clear about is we have to prioritize um, that the economic benefits uh, accrued to workers uh, in talking about actually uh, there's a, a part of this proposed plan, this Build Back Better plan that's focused on uh, requiring uh, clean energy purchases to be made in America. So I do think that there needs to be a focus on ensuring that um, what we do actually doesn't disproportionately impact, let's say, manufacturing communities. But I should say that that shouldn't prevent us from taking action. We simply have to prioritize um, that the transition we make actually benefits American workers and not hurts them. And I'm also thinking about the differences in this administration setting out its map and guideposts uh, in terms of uh, the environment and particularly in terms of climate change. And something that we hasn't even come up in this discussion, I want to give you on this, Jared Blumenfeld, because I think it's important, and that's science transparency rule, uh, which requires the EPA actually to weigh studies uh, with uh, less heavily uh, factoring in raw data. Uh, I mean, unless raw data is available, uh, making conclusions without raw data. And this has been a big sore point. Uh, it's, for example, you've got subjects who have uh, 
have medical information or private information. It's been hamstringing the FDA, the EPA, excuse me, for years, and it could take years to really change that, couldn't it? So yeah, Michael, um, this is one of those terrifying, um, but really clever rules that the Trump administration was pushing to undermine science. So science, you know, is is objective in that it's repeatable, it's empirical in that you can see what's in front of you and be able to to extrapolate from it. And unfortunately, the, the Trump administration came out with a secret science rule that basically says for a health study, um, let's say it's about air pollution, that when you do these air pollution studies, and actually UCSF and Berkeley and others are, are very involved in this, if you do a study of folks in the Central Valley, um, it requires individual participants like you, Wade, and myself to to say we got asthma. Um, these are the, the the impacts, and that's called an epidemiological study. And those studies often have thousands of people in it. The Trump administration said unless every single person, so you, Wade, and I, and 2,700 other people come out and say, you know what, uh, we're willing to sign away our, our privacy rights. Unless we did that, none of that data would be able to be used, which is ridiculous. Um, but it, it basically would hamstring every single health-based science rule in the country for everything from drinking water to toxic chemicals. And they pushed this through at the very end of the administration. Um, Governor Newsom and, and former Attorney General Becerra have brought more than 67 lawsuits, to your point earlier, Michael, about how we unwind all this stuff. Um, this particular one might be subject to something called the Con Congressional Review Act, which is that laws passed in the last 60 days of an administration can be subject to being canceled by the Senate. So we'll see. But it's, it's a really, really undermining, damaging rule that was kind of a sleeper. Who knew? that if you took away, you know, this particular ability to, to, to calculate science, that you'd undermine the whole fabric of environmental protection in our country. So that there's, there's a few of those out there like that, that we really need to watch and, and monitor. And we took legal action to preserve our rights and uh, we'll keep you updated as that evolves. Well, again, that whole question about cheerleading that uh, Jim brought up as a caller gets into things of that sort. And the fact that, uh, Science now is centerpiece for this administration. It was not for the previous administration. I think there's no other way to, to phrase it. Let me get another caller on, though. Steve joins us from Boulder Creek. Steve, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I have a question about uh, next-generation uh, nuclear power plants. Is there uh, anything in regards to research and development into, in uh, Biden's new plan? And also, do uh, the guests have an opinion about the upcoming uh, closure of Diablo, Diablo nuclear power plant? You want to weigh in here, Wade Crawford? Yeah. So as I read the uh, the announcement today, there is not a focus on uh, nuclear energy uh, in the Biden plan, and I think that you know there are certainly folks who uh, make a clear case that it is obviously emission free uh, and one source of sort of um, consistent power. I think there's a lot of concern um, about the safety elements, uh, given, uh, events like Fukushima and also what to do with the, 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 the waste and the equipment, um, once it's, um, once it's, uh, you know, had its useful life. We're seeing that in Southern California with San Onofre. So I think, you know, we're focused on moving, uh, California beyond, uh, nuclear energy 
uh, in focusing on uh, renewable forms of energy, including, frankly, exploring offshore wind. Um, that would be far offshore, uh, floating wind, not uh, viewable from the shore, but that would, would help us meet our 100% renewable energy goals. And I was really excited that President Biden's plan today called for a goal of doubling the amount of offshore wind. So uh, in California, our focus will be expanding those forms of renewable energy, as well as uh, energy storage to actually meet our goals. Jerry, would you add anything else? Anything I'd say, Michael and, and Wade is like, I love the adage that the stone age didn't end because we ran out of stones. So the same is gonna be true of coal, of nuclear. The reason, and this goes to Jim's point, the market is going to dictate what the most affordable energy is. And that's, at the moment, solar and wind by far. So when you look at an installed kilowatt of energy, there's no point in even looking at, at coal or nuclear right now because the costs are just so much greater. So if you just look at the price of energy, um, the renewable sources are going to win time in, time out. And especially as Wade pointed out, we live in a, in a we've talked about flooding uh, We've talked about wildfires. We haven't talked about seismic activity, um, but we live in a pretty seismically um, rich area and having nuclear doesn't make a lot of sense. There's a question, uh, Jared, from a listener named Shana who says, Mr. Blumenfeld's words about Governor Newsom's efforts on gas drilling and fracking run hollow. From the San Francisco Chronicle, California approved 1,646 drill permits in the first nine months of 2020 a 137% increase over the same period this year before. And I was struck by the fact that we have this supposed ban on fracking 2019, but uh, the state continues to approve new projects, doesn't it? So Wade, Wade can talk, kind of did talk about this um, to Shana's comment. And I think our, our goal is in writ large is, is to make sure, as Wade said, that we're protecting public health and the environment and that rulemaking is, is underway and that we're reducing very aggressively our demand for fossil fuels so that we can move away from imports of oil, from oil in state, um, and that we do it in a just, fair, equitable way to the workers that are on the ground. Wade, you want to yeah, thanks, Jared. Have a word here? Go ahead. And I just add, I really appreciate the opportunity to clarify, actually permitting uh, for new wells is down in California. And folks can actually just go on our website um, at calgem.ca.gov to, to see that. Michael, for the first time over the last two years, more approvals or more permits are being approved for safely and permanently sealing wells that won't be used again than for new oil permits. So as Jared mentioned earlier, we are moving in the right direction. Every year since the late 80s, um, less oil is being produced, but as Jared said, we have to focus on reducing our reliance on using this oil uh, or really none of this discussion on supply actually matters. wonder how you answer a question from Butch. Uh, I'll go to you on this again, Wade Crowfoot. He says, what's the carbon footprint per capita in California and how does this compare with other states in the rest of the world? What counties have low per capita carbon footprints? Or perhaps, Jared, you may want to weigh in here too. We've only got a few minutes left here. Yeah. Who wants to take what's that? It it's a great question. I'll give a couple, I'll give at least one powerful example, which is in California, as a result of our strong energy efficiency standards, the average Californian uses about half the electricity of the average American, um, which by nature lowers our, our carbon footprint and saves con consumers billions of dollars. 
And as more and more of our energy generation shifts to zero emission, which again, two thirds of our energy is right now, we'll continue to lower our footprint. So while I don't have the specific data, I would venture a guess that the per capita carbon footprint of Californians living their daily lives is significantly lower than many parts of the country. Yeah, that's, so uh, I can give you the specific, the, the actual sure. answer to uh, Sheena or Butch, uh, that has gone in the last 20 years from 14 tons per person per capita um, of, of greenhouse gas emissions to 10, so about a 24% um, reduction. There are parts of the world, um, you know, where it's about one ton per person, but certainly um, it's it's about half, I think, the average U.S. emission. So Californians should should be proud of what they're doing, how they're doing it, and the fact that today the Biden administration is in, across the board replicating many of the initiatives that Californians have worked hard on for the last 30 years. What a good note to end on, and thank you both for all the work you have done on this front and appreciate your being with us this morning. That's Jared Blumenfeld, Secretary for Environmental Protection for the State of California, and Wade Crowfoot, Secretary for California Natural Resources Agency. Thank you for listening, and for all of us here at KQED Public Radio, I just want to say, stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.